This morning is going to be a little bit different uh, for us. I was uh, 12 years old when I was baptized at the church in which uh, I attended. It was a, a baptism where we were, they called dunked, as opposed to sprinkled. I know many of you went to churches where you were sprinkled, but we were dunked. And it was something that took place when we were older, not when we were younger. It was called believer's baptism which I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. But about seven years before I was baptized, I came to faith in Christ. Some of you have heard my story, how my father came into the bedroom I shared with my twin brother. And he just talked about the fact that our sin, the things we've done wrong, have come between us and, and our Creator. And I knew I'd sinned, I'd been spanked enough. And, and he explained how we can't fix it. You know, we can't erase the past. and. We can't make a promise for the future. And my dad explained how we need a, a savior, a deliverer, and how God sent his son, the sinless one, to come into the world to take on his, himself flesh and blood. He would live a sinless life so that he could go to a cross one day and accept upon himself the penalty for everything you and I have done wrong. And so God executed his own son for what we did wrong. And he died and was buried, but three days later he rose again from the dead, demonstrating that the payment that had been made was accepted by God the Father. And then my dad quoted John 3.16. I still remember that back then. I'm five at the time. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever puts their trust in him will not perish, will not suffer eternal ruin, but rather will receive the gift of eternal life. And with just, just a childlike faith, that day I put my trust in Christ. But I was glad that it was several years later that I was baptized because then at a later date, I understood the significance of it and it was very, very meaningful to me. And in a little bit, I'd like to explain the significance of it. But I know it's a strange thing for some of you that you would uh, watch someone being kind of dunked in a pool of water. Why do we do it and what does it mean? I want to talk for a few minutes, first of all, about the why. We believe that this is something Jesus wants us to do. It's something that he commanded his disciples just before he returned to his heavenly father after he rose from the dead. He was with a group of about 500 of them on a mountain. And he said some amazing words. They're found in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, where Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I stop there for a moment. I, I, if you just reflect on the significance of that statement, he wasn't just claiming all authority on earth. He was claiming to have all the authority in heaven as well, which means he's God. It also means that we need to stop and hear what he's about to say because he's the one asking us to do this. And he says in verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Of course, we're not to the end of the age yet. So we think this still applies. Now, a casual reading of these verses would make it look like Jesus gave his disciples, his friends, his followers four commands, but he only really gave them one. It looks like he says, go, you know, make disciples, baptize, and teach. It looks like four, but in the original language in which the Bible was written, it's one command. 
Only one of the words is in the imperative. The others modify it. They're called participles. And what's the command? Make disciples. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be making disciples. A disciple is basically a learner. People that will follow Jesus the rest of their lives. But how do you make disciples? Well, you do it by going, baptizing, and teaching, which explains why we do it the way we do it here today. Because we believe after a person has put their trust in Christ, this is a believer's baptism. You put your trust in Christ in the process as we go, and as we share the good news, the gospel, and as people respond to it, we then baptize them in the name of Jesus, and then we begin to teach them to observe, to obey everything else that Jesus commanded. The idea of a baptism by immersion is not something that um, Jesus introduced when he began his public ministry. It was something that was already taking place. Even John the Baptist is not the one who introduced it. In Jesus' day, if someone converted to Judaism, they were baptized by immersion in a mikvah, in a tank. It was a picture of indicating that they were all in that in a sense, they, what they were before is washed away and now they are being made brand new. We believe that baptism has a significance similar to that plus a few other things. The word baptize means to place into in its simplest form. It means to immerse or to dunk is what the word actually means. In fact, I don't believe there's a single place in which the word is used in any Greek documents where the word was used that it doesn't mean to place into. Scholars, for example, have found an ancient pickle recipe. It says that you need to take the cucumbers and sprinkle them and then baptize them into the brine. Talk about holy pickles. They were not, uh, it was not a word that was in, in its day. It wasn't meant to be a religious word or a religious term. It just meant to place into. And so when we talk about water baptism, we're talking about placing into the water. If we're talking about spirit baptism, we're talking about how the spirit is placed into a person. But why do we do it? We believe it's a symbol. It's meant to be a sign. We do not believe that a person needs to be baptized in order to get to heaven. Now, I recognize some wrestle with that, but we don't believe that's the case. Otherwise, I think John 3.16 is missing something really important. John 3, 16, Jesus said, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Belief is the only requirement of the over 100, 100 verses that are found in the Bible that explain how, explain how a person gets right with God. Only a handful, three or four, seem to add something in addition to faith. And I would suggest we're misunderstanding that handful because the only requirement is faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Some evidence of that, though, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 14. Most of us acknowledge the fact that the Apostle Paul was sent by Christ to evangelize. It just means to spread the good news about Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1.14, he said, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. He was saying, I'm, I'm glad I only baptized two of you. Verse 17, he explains why. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to evangelize. You catch the implication there. That baptism is not part of the message of evangelization. It's not, it's not part of the gospel message. Faith is the only requirement, but 
it's still a very significant thing. We believe it's something Jesus wants us to do, but the symbolism is profound. An image of that or an illustration that shows what that would be like is a wedding ring. A wedding ring doesn't make you married. A wedding ring, all it does is reveals the fact that you are married, right? I mean, if you take off your wedding ring, you're still married, right? I mean, I'm married, I'm not. It doesn't work that way, right? It's just a symbol. It just reveals to everybody else, you're taken, you're married. But the marriage was something else. A pronouncement was made. Now, we believe the ring has significance besides the fact that it tells everybody that you're already taken. There's some symbolism behind it. So when I do a wedding ceremony, I'll talk about the significance of the ring. I'll talk about the fact that the ring is made of gold, which demonstrates its purity and its value. Gold is valuable. It's also pure, though. It's measured in terms of purity. And I talk about the fact that our marriages need to be pure, you know, between you and your spouse. And that it's valuable. But I also talk about the fact that the ring doesn't have an ending. And I talk about how marriage in this life is supposed to be for keeps. And so there's symbolism behind it. So the question is, what is the symbolism behind baptism? Well, it illustrates a number of things. First of all, it's a picture of a death and a resurrection. We believe that a person gets right with God, they become a Christian at the moment in which they put their trust in Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and then raised again from the dead for them. It's something that takes place in the heart, but Jesus gave this as an outward sign of that inward faith. And so when someone goes under the water in baptism, they're saying, my trust is in Jesus. It's not in me. It's in Jesus who died and was buried for me. But then usually we bring people back up out of the water. Usually. Been tempted. No, we bring them out of the water. Why? Because Jesus rose again from the dead. Our faith is in, a, is in a risen Savior. It shows that the payment Jesus made on our behalf was accepted by God. And so, ultimately, that's what each of these ones who is getting baptized is saying. My faith, my trust is not in my good deeds or anything I do. It's firmly placed in Jesus Christ who died and was buried and raised again for me. But it means something else. We believe it's a picture of cleansing, the cleansing that we experience through Christ. Of course, in the Old and New Testaments, water is a picture of, of cleansing. A scholar by the name of R.E.O. White explains it this way. He said, the Greek word baptizen means to plunge, immerse, sink, hence to wash. From Jewish rules of purification concerning ritual uncleanness, the word gained a technical religious connotation implying purification from all that might exclude from God's presence. When you go under the water of baptism, you are saying that my sins have been completely cleansed, washed away, as the song goes, by the blood of Jesus. And that's part of the significance of this. It's also, third, a picture of our new life in Christ. It's not just a death and resurrection and a picture of cleansing. But it's a picture of the new life we experience as Christians that are, suddenly we live differently. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul wrote, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. 
When Jesus rose again from the dead, he had a glorified body. It was, it was a really a, a wonderful body. Something so glorified about it that even the women who went to the tomb didn't recognize him initially. It was the type of body that he could have just appeared in a room. I, I want to get one of those. I, I just think that'd be just fun. I don't want to have to knock on the door. I want to... I just want to pop into the room. You know, I just want that glorified body, you know, that's not chained to the physical. It was wonderful, this new glorious body that Jesus had. Well, when we put our faith in Christ, we become new, a new creation. And in a sense, when we go into the water baptism, we're saying, I died to what I was before Jesus. And when we come out of the water, we're saying, now I'm living a new life for Christ. Dr. White, again, puts it this way. He says, it's this conception of the baptismal pool as a grave in which the pre-Christian self and its ways are buried once and for all and from which a new self rises to a new quality of living. Now I'm living for Jesus. My identity is now Jesus Christ. It's not something else. Fourth, I think baptism is a picture of being all in. When I went to Israel about almost a year and a half ago, not quite, we were baptized in the Jordan River. I'd been to Israel before, and that time I didn't, I didn't get baptized again, but this time I did because we were talking about the significance of baptism being all in. It, we were all fully dressed as we were walking along. We were along the Jordan River, and we just went into the Jordan River as it was rushing indicating that now we, wanna, we just want to be all in for Jesus and you go completely under the water. And that's one of the symbols here, that you're completely identifying yourself fully with Jesus. And finally, it's a picture of being placed into the church or the body of Christ. When I look at membership in the New Testament, you know what membership was? It was baptism. Peter would say, do you believe? Okay, there's the water. And it says then, after they believed and were baptized, then they were added to the church. And that's one of the symbolisms here. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, Paul wrote, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Again, the word baptized means to place into, and so he's saying the spirit of God, when we believed, placed us into the body of Christ, which is something that's illustrated when we're placed into the water of baptism. And that's why Luke wrote in Acts 2 and verse 41, so those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They believed, they were baptized, they were added to the church, which is why we call this believer's baptism. So we think it's a symbol. It's a rich symbol. It's a way of going public with our faith, but it means these other things. It's a picture of a death and resurrection. It's a picture of the cleansing that takes place when we put our trust in Christ. It's a picture of this new life. The old is gone, the new has come. A picture of being all in for Christ. And it's a picture of being placed in the body of Christ. What are we hoping you'll do with this? Well, I know for some of you this whole thing is new, and I think you'll need to wrestle with it. Is this something Jesus really wants me to do? And if so, is this the way to do it? I would encourage you, if you're convinced that's the case, to take that step and indicate that you'd also like to identify with Christ publicly with baptism. But I'm sure it raises lots of questions. Some of you perhaps are wondering, for example, whether or not if you were baptized as an infant, you should be rebaptized as an adult. Well, we would call this a different kind of baptism entirely. 
It's, it's a believer's baptism. It's something different. In fact, in the book of Acts, we have examples of people that were baptized twice. They were baptized with John's baptism, John the Baptist, and then when they put their faith in Christ, they were rebaptized into him. But we encourage you to take that step. It's between you and God. There may be other things you wrestle with. We recognize some people are afraid of water. We recognize some people don't want to do it in such a public setting. It's not that you're ashamed of your faith, but do you have to do it before 1,500 people? We don't believe that there are rules about how it's done. Jesus didn't say even a minister has to do it. Jesus gave this command to all his followers, all his disciples, go and make disciples baptizing. And so we believe that your small group can do it or we can do it in other contexts as well.